as we're looking forward to what the Trump Senate trial might look like, is the Clinton trial a good model? If it depends on what the Senate wants to get out of it, if they want to just uh, hurry through, uh, it provides a pretty, uh, a pretty sound model. Welcome to Real Impeachment. This is Ross Garber. Our goal is to talk about impeachment from a practical, nonpartisan perspective. Past guests have included the lawyer for the House in the past four impeachment proceedings, the New York Times reporter who literally wrote the book on the Clinton impeachment trial, and the chief investigative counsel for the House Judiciary Committee in the Clinton impeachment. Today's guest is Bob Barr. He was a Republican congressman and House manager, effectively a prosecutor, during the Clinton Senate impeachment trial. Barr talks about how the impeachment process really worked. And one thing I think is particularly notable is Barr's expression of frustration at the way the Senate short-circuited the Clinton trial. Even though the Senate was then controlled by Republicans, the same party as controlled the House and the party in opposition to that of the Democratic president, Senate leaders set up a process that provided for no live witness testimony and a very expedited pseudo-trial, effectively, to Barr's thinking, cutting their Republican colleagues in the House off at the knees. I also thought it was noteworthy that Barr thinks that impeachment, theoretically, is still a worthwhile exercise for a House of Representatives, even if it knows that there is virtually no chance of conviction in the Senate. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with former Congressman Bob Barr. During the uh, the Clinton impeachment process, the dynamics in the House were were uh, very similar. We had a president and a House of, of controlled by different parties. Uh, the president was a Democrat. The House was controlled by Republicans. So it's a it's a similar dynamic to today. Um, but back then, the vote authorizing the impeachment process, you know, after the Star Report comes in, 31 members of the president's own party voted to support starting an impeachment process during the Clinton process. Today, no Republicans voted to support the impeachment process beginning. What do you think the difference is? Is, is it on substance? Is it politics? Are things more partisan now? What, what, what do you think is behind that? Well, certainly, Russ, they're, they're far more partisan now. But, but two factors that I see at play here that make it very different. One, back in 1998-99, um, there were a fair number of so-called blue dog Democrats, uh, that is, members of the House who were of the same party as the president, but who were conservative-oriented, most of them from the, uh, from the South, including here in Georgia. And they joined with the Republicans in voting for impeachment, as a matter of fact, a number of them signed on to an inquiry of impeachment uh, that I had uh, filed many, many months before. You don't have that now. You don't have uh, members of the president's party, that is, the individual who was sought to be impeached, uh, joining with the other side. Uh, and I guess that goes to your partisanship issue. The other thing that's missing now is uh, congressional leadership. Uh, Back in 1998, uh, at least for most of the year until the very end of the year, as you probably recall, we had 
Newt Gingrich uh, as the speaker, as the leader of the Republican Party also. And he was a very uh, accomplished, very astute political leader, as was and is Bill Clinton. And they were able, in many instances, to not only forge a relationship that resulted in substantive accomplishments in 1996, 1997, and into 1998, uh, but basically they set an example that things could, in fact, get done uh, by Republicans and Democrats working together. Uh, So you have no real leadership like that now, and nor do you have Uh, members of one party who are able to reach across the aisle like the Blue Dog Democrats were back in 1998. And and, and sort of speaking of of that reaching across the aisle, I I had Abby Lowell on the podcast last week, and we talked about the procedures that were adopted for the Judiciary Committee back during Clinton. You were on the Judiciary Committee, and The Judiciary Committee adopted the same rules as applied in the Nixon process. This time, the rules are are a little bit different, and and specifically in terms of the rights that the president was given. You know, back during Clinton, as you remember, the president, uh, his lawyers had the right to cross-examine witnesses and to present evidence should that have happened in the Judiciary Committee. When I talked to Abby, he couldn't remember any pushback by the Republicans on giving the president those rights. Do you do you remember whether the you know you and other Republican members of the committee said, "Well, wait a minute, we don't want to have the president have the right to cross-examine witnesses should witnesses testify?" No, as a matter of fact, there was no opposition uh, whatsoever, as I recall. And that certainly would have been out of character, for example, for Henry Hyde, who was the chair of the Judiciary Committee at the time, who was uh, a very learned leader, uh, very hospitable, uh, very fair. Uh, There was never any question, uh, certainly in my mind or in the leadership's mind, that is Henry Hyde's mind, or as I recall, in anybody's mind, it simply never came up that we would not afford uh, the president uh, those uh, sorts of uh, due process and fundamental fairness uh, uh, procedures. Uh, and even with regard in the current rules under which the judiciary is operating, uh, it makes it very difficult for the uh, minority party, in this case the Republicans, uh, to have uh, called uh, witnesses. Uh, now, they didn't decided not to have any real uh, fact hearings at all, which is very unusual, very strange. Uh, But uh, as I recall, looking at the uh, Judiciary Committee rules, uh, the Republicans, if they wished to call a witness, would have to justify it to the majority party before uh, they would be allowed to call a witness or to have a witness appear. Yeah, and the the House fact-finding was sort of outsourced to the House Intelligence Committee. You know, back during Clinton, uh, the Judiciary Committee uh, had Ken Starr testify. You know, he had done the independent counsel review and then then ultimately the report. Was there discussion, do you remember, of having more substantive fact witnesses testify in public at the, at the Judiciary Committee? Oh, we, we did. Uh we, we, we started with the Star Report, obviously, and 
that provided a, a fairly clear roadmap uh, that we that we used from the very beginning of our deliberations. Uh, but we supplemented that with uh, in hearings. Uh, I recall we had uh, witnesses uh, who uh, had been prosecuted uh, themselves previously for uh, the uh, the very same offenses for which the president was uh, uh, the articles of impeachment against the president uh, uh, provided. Uh, so we did have uh, we had hearings, uh, we had lawyers, uh, we had fact witnesses. Uh, that related to the charges uh, and the history of those charges. And uh, then, of course, we had uh, Ken Starr, who submitted himself to, I don't recall how many hours, but it was uh, an entire day and well into the uh, the nighttime. Uh, and, uh, you know, came under very stiff cross-examination by the, uh, by the uh, uh, Democrats and their attorneys. Uh, and... Uh, the process was uh, much more, much more open, much, uh, much more laden with due process and openness uh, than the the current rules that the Judiciary Committee is operating under. And as I say, the uh, having an impeachment uh, based on uh, no fact, uh, factual findings whatsoever, uh, seems to me very, very odd and makes it very difficult for the Democrats to claim uh, yeah, with a straight face that this is about substance and not politics. But things were partisan then, you know, they're partisan, you know, now, arguably more partisan now. Uh, back during Clinton, how concerned were you with bringing the public along? And is, is there anything you think you could have done to more effectively do that? You know, the, there wasn't during Clinton, as there was before that with Nixon, sort of that groundswell for impeachment and removal. During the, the hearing process, is there anything else you think you could have done to, to bring the public along to, to support impeachment? I'm not really sure that there was much that could have been done by that point. Uh, the Clinton team, uh, not just the president himself uh, and those at the White House, but uh, the outside team, uh, his supporters on the outside, were very effective uh, at shifting the focus from perjury and obstruction, which are criminal uh, violations, uh, federal uh, violations of the federal criminal code, uh, shifting the narrative even before, long before the hearings themselves, after the presentation of the Star Report, to personal behavior on the part of the president, and that was uh, that that argument uh, pretty much had taken hold among the voting public. I think uh, before the hearing, so there really, I don't think by that time was much that uh, that we could have done to to change the narrative. Uh, we went with what we had, which I think was a substantial case of perjury and obstruction. Uh, but there, uh, there, there really wasn't uh, any anything we could really do by that time to change the the public opinion on the issue. I mean, given that that was the case, did did you have have second thoughts, or did other members of the Judiciary Committee have second thoughts about plowing ahead with articles and instead doing something like a censure? Uh, I did not, and uh, most of the members of the Judiciary Committee on the Republican side did not. There were uh, there were a few 
that uh, we're hoping that that uh, alternative would present itself and uh, a few that might have uh, opted for that. But uh, it was never more than uh, just a, a couple or a few members that uh, fell into that category. So then there was the, the vote uh, in the House. Two articles passed. One article that wound up passing out of the Judiciary Committee but didn't pass out of the House uh, was a charge of essentially obstructing the congressional investigation. Was that a charge that you supported back then? And, and what's your take on that notion now? I don't think it was the strongest charge back then, and I don't think it's the strongest charge uh, today because it is uh, divorced really from uh, the hard and fast uh, facts of a criminal prosecution, a criminal statute. Obviously, one does not need to have uh, prove a violation of a federal criminal law in order for uh, a president to be impeached, uh, but it certainly uh, clarifies it tremendously and strengthens the case where, where you can show through evidence, as we did in 1998, that a federal criminal law had been violated by the president. And perjury in particular, uh, the, or the, the proof of perjury in, in particular, I think was very substantial, uh, as were steps that the president uh, took in his effort to obstruct uh, the star investigation to obstruct justice. So those, I think, were uh, and remain today the stronger charges rather than obstruction of uh, Congress, which is uh, far more amorphous. And do you think it's less strong because it has less constitutional appeal or less public appeal or, or both? It, ha- it has less certainly less constitutional appeal and it gets uh, it, it gets you right into the heart of uh, disputes be- between two branches of government as opposed to criminal behavior on the part of the person seeking to be impeached as as we're seeing in the uh, the current Im- impeachment uh, discussions in the House Judiciary Committee you can't get away from the fact that to some degree you are always going to have those tensions between the executive uh, branch and the legislative. Uh, and where do you draw the line between a legitimate effort on the part of the executive branch uh, through the president to protect information and process within the executive branch from uh, congressional meddling, so to speak, uh, and exactly how far does uh, the congressional power uh, reach into the executive branch. So the fact that you can't get away from those uh, gray areas makes it a, a far more more difficult uh, charge on which to impeach, I think. And it, and it does make it uh, far more or far, far more easily misunderstood by the public. When the articles got voted out of the committee and then out of the House, at that point, how sure were you about the end result in the Senate? Did you think there was a chance of removal, or by that point, uh, did you just assume that there weren't the votes for removal? We knew that there weren't weren't the votes. Uh, that was uh, that was very clear. Uh, we even had indications from some of the Republicans in the in the Senate that uh, they they were not interested in taking this up at all. And 
it might be better, guys, if uh, you know we just didn't proceed with this. And so then, why do it? If if you knew you weren't going to get a conviction in the Senate, you knew there weren't wasn't going to be a removal. Why go through the whole process of of impeachment if you know removals not not even on the table? Because there there are two very different steps. Uh, the burden of proof uh, in a criminal case is very different uh, to seek an indictment uh, than it is to obtain a, a conviction in a criminal case. Uh, that does not mean that uh, a, a prosecutor should not seek an indictment simply because uh, he or she may not know for certain whether or not uh, a conviction could be had. That is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, the job of the House uh, is not to convict a president. The sole responsibility of the House is, uh, by a majority vote, if it believes that a president has uh, committed grave offenses, uh, it has a responsibility, I think, to move to impeach the president. And then it's uh, it's up to the Senate to do its will according to the rules and the standards that apply for a conviction. And, and I remember back then there was some discussion about what the what the burden of proof was. I mean, do you think it's like a, a grand jury, just probable cause at the House level, or is it something higher, clear and convincing evidence? It sounds like you, you're not, you, don't, you didn't think it was proof beyond a reasonable doubt. What, what's the level of confidence the House should have? Very good question. And uh, I would say, and I remember we had discussions you know, within our caucus, certainly at the time, and they may have been reflected in some of the hearings and markups, I don't recall specifically, but I think it, it, it lies in between uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a very high standard, as it should be for conviction in a criminal case, as it would be for removal of a president, certainly, uh, but a higher than probable cause. So uh, I think clear and convincing evidence that uh, the president uh, or whatever official it is sought to be impeached uh, has, uh, you know, Met the, met the uh, uh, or participated or uh, acted, you know, according to the to the standard. In other words, clear and convincing evidence that uh, the president in this case uh, has uh, committed uh, high crimes and misdemeanors. Fast forwarding, now we uh, you've passed articles of impeachment. Uh, you were a House manager, effectively a prosecutor before the Senate. How'd you get that job? I asked uh, Henry Hyde. I uh, told him I would uh, like to be uh, uh, one of the House managers, and uh, he agreed. He said, you know, you've been uh, working on this issue, issue uh, longer than any of us. Uh, I had introduced an inquiry of impeachment back in uh, a year before, in November of 1997, uh, and it participated uh, you know, very significantly in the both the lead-up to the uh, Judiciary Committee's formal action, uh, as well as during the uh, hearings and markup and uh, on the floor. And uh, I asked uh, Henry Hyde, and he agreed that he would put my name forward as one of the impeachment managers to be voted on by the House. And was there controversy about that? Were there you know, other people campaigning? Were there people saying, this guy should be a manager, this person shouldn't be a manager? Um, do you remember how that worked? I was not aware of any at the time. Uh, later on, uh, long after the fact, uh, I was told there was some uh, opposition to it, but uh, nobody ever told approached me directly about it. And back then, what was the job of 
the house manager and you know because there were also lawyers advising you and how how'd you split up the job with the the lawyers advising you of course henry hyde was very much in charge of the entire process uh and he uh made the decisions on how to uh divide up the tasks uh the presentation uh the issues that each one of us would uh kind of present uh and uh, Dave Shippers, of course, as the uh, the lead counsel, was uh, very much involved also. Uh, he and his staff, uh, Paul McNulty, as I recall, was very much involved. Uh, uh, they did a tremendous job of uh, you know, marshalling the evidence, uh, researching, and helping us uh, prepare for the, uh, for the trial over in the Senate. But Henry Hyde was very much in, in charge of the entire process. Once you got to the Senate, uh, rules were adopted for how the process would go forward. And, you know, I, I think it was interesting. I had Peter Baker, who wrote a book uh, about this subject on a couple of weeks ago, and he talks about the collaborative nature between the minority and majority in the Senate and setting the rules. What do you remember about that process? Because there there aren't, it's not like the federal rules of, of civil procedure apply. What, what do you remember about actually setting up the rules for how the process would go? Well, they, they basically cut us off at the knees before we even started. Uh, the rules that were adopted by the Senate uh, pursuant to its resolution, uh, and you're absolutely correct, uh, there's, no, uh, there's no rules for an impeachment trial in the Senate that, uh, that are there. Uh, the Senate decides in each and every one what rules they're going to adopt. And in our case, uh, they adopted rules that uh, were extremely limiting uh, in terms of what evidence we could present. Uh, and uh, without, we're not allowed to uh, call any live witnesses. We were not allowed to bring in any evidence other than that which had been already in the public domain. And we were not allowed until very late in the pro in the uh, in the proceedings to uh, even depose uh, a few witnesses and even then uh, the rules were so strict that the depositions uh, yielded very little because they were so tight we were so tightly limited by time I think they were limited you know just to a couple of hours I think back then uh, the Republicans were in in control of the Senate uh, the Republicans were in control of the House. You know, the uh, House managers were Republicans. How did it come about that the Senate Republicans who controlled the process limited what the Republican House managers could do? I think it's a reflection of uh, the way a lot of the senators back then viewed the House uh, as the lower body and uh, the Senate, uh, including a lot of Republicans, really were simply not interested in getting sort of getting their hands dirty with this uh, this impeachment. They were hoping, I think, until very late that uh, the House would not pass the articles of impeachment or that a censure motion or whatnot would be proposed as an alternative. Uh, so I think it, it simply reflects the fact that uh, the, the Senate as a body was just not interested in, in the impeachment uh, trial and were hoping it would just go away. And then when it was obvious that it wouldn't just go away and the House passed the articles of impeachment, they uh, crafted uh, a bipartisan, so to speak, set of rules that 
severely limited uh, what we could do. And do you remember if, if you or Chairman Hyde or anybody sort of raised a ruckus about about that and said, well, wait a minute, you know, the Constitution says that uh, the Senate's supposed to hold a trial. What you're doing here is not a real trial. I don't recall any, any real uh, effort to do anything. I mean, it, uh, we were given uh, the rules. Uh, that's what the Senate decided. It, uh, the, the restrictions, uh, the scope of the restrictions did surprise me somewhat, but the fact that the Senate passed uh, rules or decided on rules that were uh, made it very difficult for us uh, wasn't a surprise to me because they, uh, the Senate, the Republicans, had made it, a lot of them, clear very early on that they did not want to deal with this and were looking for a way out of it. Do you remember what the role of the chief justice is? I mean, in the chief justice, again, the Constitution says the chief justice presides. What, what did Chief Justice Rehnquist do? What was his, his job? Uh, to sit there. <laughs> so not much. And he, 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 did, he did that very well. I mean, uh, uh, there was, I think, in the entire however many days the trial went on, and it wasn't, you know, one day after another, it was split up uh, over several, or certainly a few weeks. I think there was only one objection that was raised, and it was uh, raised by one of the senators uh, against something I had, I was saying when I had the uh, was in the well. Was it when you called the senators jurors? Was that the? I think that might have been. The senators are sitting akin to jurors or something. Uh, that, that might have been it. Before I even had a chance to respond, uh, the uh, chief justice had sustained. Yeah, that was one of the few times that uh, the chief justice actually did something, and I was the—I happened to be the victim. <laughs> and it, do you remember any potential controversy over the chief justice's role, or did he sort of fill the role that everybody just expected him to fill? Was, was there concern that the Chief Justice might actually do more? Or was there hope that the Chief Justice might do more? I don't think it was ever really an issue that was discussed. I mean, the Constitution provides that the Chief Justice uh, presides. Um, I don't think any of us had uh, had an impression that the Chief Justice was looking forward to this. He sort of made that clear, I think, by perhaps by body language and so forth that uh, he'd rather be somewhere else, but he fulfilled his constitutional duty to preside. I remember this, and I think I wrote about this in my book also, at the uh, the very end of the trial, before the Senate goes into its closed session to uh, deliberate, uh, the Chief Justice uh, thanked everybody, thanked the uh, president's lawyers and the senators and so forth, uh, pointedly did not thank the House managers. Do you think that was intentional? Uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist uh, is a, was a very, very smart man, and I don't think he did too many things that were unintentional. Why do you think he didn't thank the House managers? What was his issue with the House managers? I, I, I just think it was it was a uh, the, the reflected the fact that he really didn't really want to be there. That it, that maybe he felt it was a waste of time. I don't know, but. Uh, I think it simply reflect, reflected uh, you know, the fact that he really uh, did not want to be there. You know, there, there were lawyers for uh, the White House, and there were also lawyers for the president personally. What was the interaction like between the House managers and the president's lawyers? I had a, a, a special one because I had been a student of Chuck Ruff's uh, when I was at Georgetown Law School. The White House counsel. Taught me uh, 
contracts. And um, yeah, he was a very, very fine law professor, a very fine man, and I knew him personally. And so I had a, a good relationship with him. Uh, the president's lawyers, uh, as, a, as a group, all of them were very, very good. I don't recall at any time thinking that they were uh, not doing exactly what they were supposed to do in a in a very professional way. Did you you had mentioned the the depositions? There was no live testimony, but there were depositions. Did you go to any of the the depositions? No, uh, I I forget which one of our team uh, handled those. Uh, Ed Bryant, I think, might have. Um, I don't recall whether there were other members uh, of our team, but I do remember that Ed Bryant uh, uh, did at least one of them. And, and then at the end of that process, the the video was sort of cut up and used in arguments. Do you think that process was was effective, that kind of a Senate trial? As, as we're looking forward to what the Trump Senate trial might look like, is the Clinton trial a good model? If it depends on what the Senate wants to get out of it. If they want to just uh, hurry through, uh, it provides a pretty uh, a pretty sound model. I mean, in your opinion, were there downsides to it, or in general, is it a pretty good model? I don't think so, because it, it severely limits the evidence that could be presented. Uh, we had, as, as you may recall, uh, in addition to the Star report itself, we had voluminous uh evidence that uh, the independent counsel's office sent to the House uh, to back up and supplement the report itself. I mean, there were literally file cabinets full of uh, material. We were allowed to present none of that since it was not in the public domain. Uh, Now, I don't know that going to the other extreme and saying, okay, you can bring in anything you want uh, would be the best way to handle it either. But, uh, uh, telling the House managers uh, at the beginning of a trial uh, that you are going to be so severely limited in what you can present that you will never be able to present a full picture to the Senate or to the American people uh, is is not the best model. Uh, I don't know what the Senate is going to do. I mean, on early on, uh, I heard uh, Lindsey Graham talk about uh, hoping to have a you know, a robust trial. Uh, and on the other and on the other hand, I see uh, discussion, uh, I think, by the majority leader that uh, they would favor a much tighter, uh, more circumscribed uh, proceeding. Uh, so I guess they'll have uh, they'll have to make that decision, uh, you know, within a I guess a couple or a few weeks. If all goes the way I think we expect it to go, the president's going to be acquitted. Uh, it'll be the same result as in Clinton. And um, I'm interested to get your take on what you think, if anything, that means for impeachment as a process. Do you think because of those two results, the impeachment process has been weakened at all? I think it certainly has uh, in the current uh, example, if in fact the House votes as as I expected to on the two articles that are being considered by the Judiciary Committee, uh, goes over to the Senate, and unless there is something that is completely new and devastating to the president that comes out between now and the Senate trial, 
Uh, I certainly uh, see the same result as we had in in 1998 with the president being being uh, acquitted. But I, I do uh, believe that the way the the House is proceeding in this instance uh, does uh, severely undercut the credibility uh, of impeachment for the future, uh, because it, it appears to me to be so outside what the norm should be. Uh, in other words, having been largely conducted in, in a committee that has no and should have no jurisdiction over these type of political issues, uh, sort of handing it over uh, to the Judiciary Committee as a, a fait accompli, and the Judiciary Committee just sort of sitting back and say, okay, we'll take this and run with it, and we'll uh, you know, talk about it for a few days, and, and then we'll uh, send it to the floor uh, without any factual presentation, uh, without any bipartisanship whatsoever. I do think that that, that will uh, severely undercut the credibility of impeachment going forward. But, but some will say that's pretty much what happened in Clinton, where you got the Star Report. It's not like you brought in Monica Lewinsky, you know, at the House level to to testify again before the Judiciary Committee. Um, you know, it, it, what, what's the answer to that? Who say, well, it, you know, it's basically the same. The the Intel Committee did effectively what. Star did, and the Judiciary Committee of today is doing essentially what the Judiciary Committee of Clinton did, uh, pretty much just taking information that's already been gathered, then thinking about the legal standard and then applying that, and that the the testimony of that Star gave in Clinton is essentially the same as the testimony that the House lawyers gave in Trump. Yeah, House House lawyers are House lawyers. Uh, basing an impeachment on a Republican lawyer and Democrat lawyer arguing with, uh, with each other, to me, borders on nonsensical. I mean, that, to me, is an insult to the House members uh, to allow that to have pro- provided essentially the basis for an impeachment. Uh, the Starr report was far more substantial uh, both in terms of its legal analysis and the substantive evidence than anything that was that I saw presented in the uh, House uh, Intelligence Committee. I mean, to me, that there's no comparison whatsoever. Uh, the Star Report uh, had uh, extensive uh, grand jury proceedings and material and evidence. Uh, none of that was present in the House uh, in, uh, Intelligence Committee. Uh, you had, you know, a parade of witnesses uh, providing uh, testimony that was opinion testimony or, uh, in some cases, just hearsay testimony. Very, very little, uh, almost none, uh, of the hard evidence that uh, that was presented to the Judiciary Committee in 1998. Uh, and the Judiciary Committee in 1998 handled the impeachment from start to finish. We weren't a secondary player to uh, some other committee. In this case, a committee that I believe uh, is, is, if there's one committee in the House that should have had nothing to do with impeachment, it's the Intelligence Committee, which is uh, supposed to be, and I was involved back in 1977 uh, in uh, setting up uh, or 
drafting the legislation uh, that set up the House and Senate Intelligence Committees, and they were uh, intended not to be involved in precisely the type of proceeding that uh, Pelosi directed their way this case and this uh, in this case. Hey, well, look, I, I really appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for thanks for doing this. I think it's great perspective on on what's going on today. I appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to it. I hope uh, hope it's been helpful to you. It has been. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to my conversation with former Republican congressman and impeachment manager Bob Barr. Feel free to give me any feedback or otherwise reach out to me on Twitter at Ross Garber. And, of course, leave us a review and share the podcast if you liked it. Until next time.